Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello, good afternoon. <coughs> I'm going to keep this quite informal. I've... Um, I've got sort of a, a series of slides, a series of different deals that I'm doing at the moment, and I'm just going to talk my way through them and explain what I'm doing, where I am, uh, probably give you some insights into your deals and sort of how you're sourcing stuff and developing stuff and you know, making sure that you can um, continue to make money and uh, get some idea. hopefully you'll get some ideas from uh, you know, the projects that I'm involved in at the moment. Okay, so... At the moment, with sort of big commercial buildings, who's involved in sort of converting them into flats or houses? Okay, a few of you. Okay, so most of the stuff that I'm looking at uh, would be sort of P, uh, non-PD type opportunities. Okay, there's been loads of permitted development, loads of offices. Uh, we've got a new permitted development right just this month. Has anyone seen what that is or next month? Yeah, light industrial, so that's up to 500 square metres, so it's quite a small uh, sort of conversion or a maximum. You'd probably get eight or ten flats out of that one. The offices are still there, but there are less of them. So most of the offices that I see would be offices that are sort of tenanted uh, or maybe there's tenants coming out. So there's a bit of skill in finding those and then working a way to get the tenants out of that unit. Has anybody found any of those kind of units? There's one coming up in Peterborough shortly, uh, but you can imagine every man and his dog sort of chasing after it because they've been pretty good, those conversions, and they've made good money. Um, so lots of people are chasing those. Um, how would you, if, if you're looking for an office and you're gonna convert it under permitted development, how would you sort of deal with three tenants that are spread across a big office building? What would you do with that? Buy them out. So you might go around the building, sort of start talking to them directly and start offering them money. Yes, definitely. So you might offer them, you know, sort of uh, reduced rent for a period of time until you're ready for them to move away. Uh, and then, you know, when you complete, they move out and they get extra cash. Yeah. How else could you sort of entice them out? find them somewhere else, give them another office building, yeah. What's a good clause in the lease that could help you with a, a building like that? Dilapidations, there's another type of clause in there. Uh, maybe a break clause, yes. There is sometimes a clause in there that says if you're gonna redevelop it, then you know they're, they're gonna have to leave, yeah. Most of the offices around here, you wouldn't really wanna spend a load of money on them. Any idea why you wouldn't wanna spend a load of money on offices, especially around here? Honestly, the value, I mean, okay, in the recession and after the recession, the value did go up, but generally the value of offices goes which way? Sort of sideways or down. So spending a load of money refurbing offices, unless you've got a really good tenant who's going to sign a long lease and be in there for years, I'm just about to put a tenant in like that into a retail unit, you probably wouldn't spend a load of money on an office. That's why we can buy them cheap and then put them into something which is worth a load more money. Any other ways of dealing with tenants like that? Raise the rent, you, you could raise the rent if there was a, um, you know, a, a break 
or sometimes they're RPI linked, these leases, um, so you can increase the rent that way. Uh, if there's a break um, or the lease has come to an end, yeah, you can put the rent up uh, and they might not like it and they might, they might leave. But equally, you could just ask them to leave it if it's the end of the lease and they're outside the 52 Act. 54 Act. Thank you. So they're the sort of main, I'd say most of the offices that I come across now that have tenants in like that. Another little way around that would be to develop part of the building. It's a lot easier if you know it's quite a you know a building that's spread out, and you can sort of go straight down the middle of it and develop one half, and then keep the office side completely separate with separate stairwell. That can work quite well. I've seen that happen in town. It's more difficult to sort of keep people in on a level and then develop other levels. We're about to sort of do that in town, uh, but there are. Yeah, there's more challenges with that, and it's probably going to cost you more money. So that's most of the office stuff. Um, but most of the stuff I develop is not permitted development, and it's not offices just because there are less of them. So clearly, the offices are beneficial because you don't need planning permission. There's no 106. There's no affordable housing. There's no um, SIL or any of those payments. So I quite like the, you know, take a, a care home or take a cinema or take a nightclub, or take a retail unit, or maybe a pub, uh, or a private members club as we did recently, and convert those into apartments or into rooms. Um, I think that's sort of a, a market which is easier and there's more of this stuff coming up, there's more of it available. When you're looking at sort of developments like this to, to bring out and to get, to get rolling, what are the main things that you need to think about? Who do you need to get involved in these projects? Early doors. Uh, leaseholders, as in the tenants. Um, yeah, once you've got sort of moved the tenants out, you, you probably need to get a planning consultant involved. Early doors, yeah. Who else? Project manager, yeah. Yeah, I've appointed a project manager on one we're doing at the moment. Uh, that will make your life a lot easier, yeah. Definitely an architect, yeah. Uh, there are a huge spectrum of, you know, the quality of architects can be really bad to really, really good. And you learn over time the ones who've got experience of doing these apartment projects and basically sweating it and getting more out of it. Very true. Who else could you get involved with this sort of stuff? Yeah, the builder. Actually, I use my builder to design most of this stuff. I'd say, actually, if you've got a really, really good builder, there's there's a, a lot of benefit in getting them involved um, very early because a lot of the time architects draw all this stuff which might look pretty but actually it might be very costly to build it and um, you know the the sort of engineering or the M&E all this stuff some architects are really good with lots of them haven't got a clue uh, about a how to get more units out and b to get the bill cost down um, so it, and I'd say often you get good builders who can uh, they do understand that because they're, um, they're, they're needing to deal with you know, that side. Who else, you know, on bigger buildings, who else might you need on your professional team? Yeah, definitely an engineer. Engineer is very important, uh, but I'd have the builder work with them to push them, definitely. Who else is important on your team? Yeah, very important to get a specific sort of commercial finance broker for your development finance. I've got a couple of those that I'd use, happy to share them. Um, very, very important for development finance. 
Um, so the density of these buildings is massive. The density is what can either make it work or mean it doesn't work at all. Um, typical sizes, if I was doing apartments, would be sort of 40 square metres, and I'd go to maybe 50, 55 on a two bed, 40 on a one bed, 50, 55 on a two bed. Um, on PD schemes, on offices, you can just pick your sizes, you can go right down to whatever size you want. Um, when you need planning permission, i.e. on most of the projects that I'm doing, which would be a pub or a cinema or, you know, at the moment I'm doing a retail unit, generally the council, they might push the minimum sizes out. I've basically increased on what I'm doing at the moment to about 40 square metres. You just sort of have to go with them. Here's one we did a, a few years ago. That was an office. Uh, bought that for 350, spent about 800 on it. And that was worth 2.2 when it was done. It was 23 apartments. So we rented them out initially and sold them. And um, that was an office building that originally, in the credit, well, it was originally bought for about 1.3, I think it was, by um, some London investors who bought it off a, a guy who was running it as his office as an accountancy firm. And then the credit crunch came along, the accountancy firm got sold, moved out, and we bought that for 350. So you, you can see the value of these buildings when there's no tenant in them it can really drop significantly, especially if there's a recession in between, obviously. That can help quite a lot. So, you know, if you find stuff that's empty, unloved, that's probably where you want to be. What sort of buildings are empty and unloved at the moment and just sitting there? Quite a lot of pubs, yeah, quite a lot of care homes. What else? Nightclubs, definitely. Why are, night Why are there so many nightclubs? Tinder, yeah. Have you been somewhere else? <laughs> Someone said that to me a couple of days ago. Um, why, why, why are nightclubs so? Uh, Tinder might have something to do with it. Why are nightclubs so empty? Yeah, licensing. Everyone doesn't get kicked out at eleven, do they? And go somewhere else. Cheap supermarket drinks. Yeah. Are they? Students are getting less drunk. Yeah, because it looks like they drink a lot, but when I was at university, it wasn't a lot. It was like every night, you, you know, sick everywhere. I mean, it was, it, I remember, I mean, we had one place we used to go to, and it was basically glass and sick all over the floor, and everyone would just be dancing away until four and five in the morning. And it just, you know, it was just standard weekend. <laughs> They're still doing that. Cardiff standard procedure. It was Bristol, yeah. It was just that's what used to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Outrageous, isn't it? Um, so um, yeah, I, nightclubs are great. What, what, what's the big challenge with certainly nightclubs? So often the, there's a very deep floor plate and there's no light in the middle of them. So you need to find ways of sort of reducing the um, or, or, or should I say find ways of introducing light into the apartments or into the rooms which might be in the middle of the building because it's space you couldn't ordinarily use and this this is what makes such a big difference on these developments and it's the difference between it working and, and not working some tricks I'd use on buildings like that would be to because um, everyone assumes you need a window don't, don't they with a bedroom and planners will definitely assume that um, but you don't always need a window. What you need is ventilation. So you can introduce mechanical ventilation into bedrooms which are in the middle, and then you can use borrowed light from the living room through to these bedrooms. So you can put a, 
almost like frosted glass into the living room, which takes light into the bedrooms, which are at the rear. And that then opens up a massive amount of space in the middle of the building, which you can use. Is that bedroom or that flat going to be worth the same as one with normal windows? No. But if that was area that you could get zero for, because it was just going to have to be circulation space, versus you being able to get, I don't know, 60% of the value of that room, it's still going to be worth it, isn't it? Um, so that can really make a big difference. Engineering out the lobbies as well, you know, as you go into these apartments, that's a big thing. You know, the, the um, corridor space as you go in, you normally go into a flat, there's a lobby area, and then off that you go into the toilets and into the lounge and into the bedrooms. How much space is all that, that lobby area? 10%, yeah, it could be circulation space. So why do we do that? Why do we have those lobbies with all the extra doors and so fire safety? So you can engineer those out by putting a full mist sprinkler system in. So that then usually you need to confer with building, uh, your building inspector. Usually then you can take out all those lobbies, um, which means you get uh, an apartment. You come in through the front door and you go straight into the lounge. And then the bedrooms are off that and the, the bathrooms off the lounge. Yeah. So you're utilizing a lot more space. And you get a sprinkler system as well, which is... I suspect going to become more, more mandatory as time goes on here, making quite a lot of noises about that. How many people have died in buildings where there's been a, a fire and a, a working sprinkler system fitted? Does anyone know? Apparently, no one's ever died in a building, according to Fire Brigade's union representative that was... I've, seen quoted, no one's ever died in a, a building with a, a working sprinkler system in this country. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? How do you test them? I don't really know. No. I'm about to put one in, so I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, and actually sprinklers get you out of a lot of stuff that you need to do. You know, like your travel times can be reduced. Um, you might need automatic opening vents. You might all this other stuff, which means you know you, you may need a sort of fire protected lift if you're going up a lot of storage. If you put a sprinkler system in, it it gets you out of having to do some of that other stuff. And the other thing is, if there's a fire, usually your your backside is a lot a lot more covered. So um, that can be quite good because obviously sprinklers aren't mandatory. I think it's about five or six stories. They're not mandatory below that anyway. Uh, but it can be a good idea. So if you can get that extra value taking the corridors out, you know, you, the, the other thing about apartments is so important, you know, you, you're going to engineer them smaller, but it's so important to have the layouts that are efficient because you could have a, you know, a 50 square metre apartment that feels smaller than a 40 square metre apartment that is well laid out, v this 50 that's badly laid out, yeah? So having a good architect doing the layouts, really, really important. This is an example of the sort of spec that we use. Generally, we'll put laminate floors down. We might put granite worktops in. And we'll tend to try and reduce the sizes of all the, the stuff that goes in to make the rooms look bigger. Uh, maybe you put kind of three-quarter length double beds in, things like that. Obviously not when it's up and running, but just as a show flat. So where do you find this stuff? Well, I drive around a lot. I'm always talking to people locally. If I see a pub, or a cinema, or something like that. Often I'm writing to the landowner, I go on land registry and download it. 
There's a reasonable amount on to let, but um, you know, most of the stuff that's empty uh, or for sale would be, um, yeah, pub, club. I mean, there's, there's still two or three nightclubs on for sale in town, owned by huge funds, been on for sale for like two years plus. Just empty, sitting there, don't work. When it's a fund that's miles away, they just seem happy to leave them empty and pay all the empty property rates. It's just really weird. Retail outlets, yeah, yeah. Less retail. Town centres, yeah. Why do you think that is? Internet, yeah. Amazon, the scourge. <laughs> it's quite good as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just renting a, a retail unit to a big housing association. It's on the high street. I could do a load of works inside it, probably put a toilet in, all that sort of stuff. But we're getting, we're getting like £35 a foot uh, for this space, which is like 50 grand a year for a little kind of space, which is, I don't know, about half of this room. So it's quite a good rent um, on the high street. Um, but yeah, generally they're shutting down. So pub companies, they're definitely good to write to. These corner shops are probably shutting, some of them. They can be good. Why are corner shops also good to go in? Yeah, but when you talk to the corner shop owner, they often know who's doing what locally, and you get to find out who's moving out and what units are available and all that sort of stuff. There's always, always loads of information. I'm always quite careful when I go in there. Um, if I, I sort of tell them what I want everyone else to know. So, um, yeah, that, that, that can be, uh, be quite valuable. Um, here's another one we did. We finished this at Christmas. Um, we bought that for 450, all in with the purchase price. I think we we spent about 1.3. It's worth about three million. Uh, it was valued. The surveyor said it was three million, um, and it rents at 260. So that's a gross yield of 18%. This is cluster flats, so it's, it's rooms uh, all all around. Um, you know, a, a five or six rooms around a, a nice sort of kitchen lounge diner. It's that concept there. So they get a room, they get an ensuite, and then they get a kitchen lounge diner, and five or six of them share that. Um, it's a bit like a student cluster flat. Um, it sends the income way up. I mean, we're probably getting double the income on that that we would as apartments. And this is my favorite sort of stuff, because I, I think it's great just to keep it. Because after all costs, we're probably net 12, 13%, something like that. Um, and we get all the money out. So the return on capital invested on these is often infinite, if not in the hundreds or thousands of percent, i.e. the amount of money I leave in versus what comes back. We've, I think we're, yeah, net, 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 we're getting about 150 grand a year off that, uh, which is you know, really, really good. It, um, where else are you going to make those sort of returns from? So I do those quite frequently. I'm always looking for new banks to finance this stuff on the back end. Um, so I've used Metro recently. I use Lloyd's quite a lot. For development finance, you know, there's BGL or maybe Zorin or maybe Lloyd's. Uh, they can be good for, you know, actually doing the conversion. But at the end, you need to refinance it out if you're going to keep it and put it on a long-term sort of commercial loan. Often this stuff refinances and I'm paying, a, I think on the latest one, I'm paying a rate of about 3%. I did a couple earlier on in the year at 2.7. Um, so I'll lend sort of chunks, one and a half to this latest one's 3 million. Um, and they'll sort of, yeah, they'll lend at about 3%, something like that. 
think it might be quite a good idea to fix at the moment. Yeah, why is that? So I suspect you've got a very small window, um, i.e. next week, before, um, before most of them react, uh, because the swap rate shot up last Thursday stroke Friday, um, because a couple of the MPC members who are normally quite dovish, they, they, they're usually arguing to keep interest rates low. Even they're saying, oh, we think interest rates need to go up shortly. Whether they will or not, who knows? They've done this before. Um, but the reality is the swap rate's gone up, so the, the cost of the long-term money that, that banks are accessing in the market has gone up. So they'll be repricing shortly. You'll see it go up. If I'm doing a big building like that, they just class it as commercial, so I'll probably 60. But it, it doesn't really mean anything, because 60% of what? You know, I asked for a valuation of 2.3 on that, and the surveyor said it was 3 million. You know, it's very rare they go up, but he went up a lot. But the banks still would only lend the same amount of money back. Um, so on these, it's not such a problem because you get them valued on the income. Yeah. The, the, the because the income can be so high, you know, the, the rental coverage on these is four, on that is 450%. You know, the, the normal sort of, you know, it might be 140, 150. This is 450. So, it, you know, all this PRA rubbish and all these rules and it just, interest rates going up, it's like, yeah, so what? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's four times the, the interest cover, you know. Sorry, the repayment cover. So I think stuff like that's really good to hold for the long term. Here's another one. This is um, a smaller one. I bought this a while ago. Uh, we had a few planning issues. Um, so this will be finished around Christmas. Generally, when you're using commercial lending at the other end, um, you might get a choice of surveyor, which is quite useful. I find you can often give them a ring. Obviously, you might be talking about fees, but you also might be talking about the sort of valuation, the, the methodology they're going to use when they value these kind of buildings. Often, they'll do about 60%, 70%. And um, yeah, you can get quite cheap lending. It's good to build a relationship with these guys over a period of time. Very, very valuable. So this is a building we bought uh, in April. This is my latest purchase, and it's going to keep me busy for quite a long time. It's that one there. It's right in the middle of town. It's the one with the orange on the top. Uh, it was Marks and Spencers. So if you anyone's been around here before and sort of been in there, I used to buy my school trousers in there. Um, and um, the yeah, the ground floor is that, that's a, a supermarket now. So it's a B and M that's gone in there. And they'll be in there for at least 10 years. And then upstairs, there's one floor back here, and then there's two floors up here. So it's 80,000 square foot, the whole building. We're looking at going up a few stories. So with that scheme, you could put about 100 apartments in there, you know, on top of the existing. But in order to deliver that scheme, we need about 500 grand worth of steel to go in to support all that on top. I think the planners are reasonably comfortable with this now, although we're probably going to have to take, well, we are going to have to take that line off there because they don't like, you know, they, they just sort of look at it and it's very subjective. So they'll look at that and look in the middle and say, oh, there's not enough light in there, take this off. But I think they've sort of said, oh, well, we'll let you put another floor on here and maybe a little bit more on the side there. We may end up just going up to one or two floors with a timber frame and I may end up reducing the size of it because we may end up making more money doing it that way because of the cost. 
Uh, I'll probably have an idea, you know, exactly where we're going to go in about 10 days' time, but then that's got to go back to the planners again. So the thing is, with these sorts of things, you've got three people that you're constantly sending it around, the planners, the engineer, and the builder. And of course, what happens is the builder says, yeah, no problem, we can go up that high and it's going to cost this. Then the engineer says, yeah, but then that's another 400 grams worth of steel. And he goes, all right, we'll change it around like this. And then you take it back to the planners, they go, we don't like it anymore because these shops down here, it's overbearing on them. So you're constantly changing it according to what these three people want. And this is another reason to focus your attention on a geographical area, which I really believe in. It's right on the high, you know, on the main shopping precinct. It's within what's known as the city centre core, yeah? And every council has to do a development plan document. And in that, it lists all the policies for how much parking you need and other, you know, where you're allowed to put residential and everything like that. Within the city centre core, the parking requirements are zero here. Other councils have other policies. So it's not an issue for us here. If that was one centimetre, the other side of the line, they'd be wanting at least one space per apartment and maybe two spaces. And if you, if you get a building like that, uh, well, example would be this building here. I think the car park there looks like it's got like 11, 12 spaces. The council think there are six spaces in there because what happens is they go, Right, you've, you've, you've got, you've got this, this, this sort of back row of spaces here. Well, they all need to be sort of 100 metres long and, and 50 metres wide. Yeah. And then there needs to be room for the bin lorry to come in, turn round four times and all that sort of stuff. And then what about the fire engine? And what about, and before you know it, you've sort of lost loads of spaces. So just be important, uh, just sort of be mindful if, if parking's really important to get your planning consultant and architect to draw the parking spaces according to the local parking standards. That's important. Parking is what restricts a lot of these. What's another nice way round to get through the parking issue? Parking survey is awesome. Um, I did parking survey on that. Uh, well, you have to do it between 7pm and 7am, but you can go 250 yards each way and you can always find some spaces just tucked around, you know, all the local side streets. You take a picture and you measure them and you know, you, you draw them all on a plan, you do it over three nights, they find it really hard to sort of defend against that because once you've given them the parking plan, it proves there's enough parking. So, and I always do those myself because I just find so many more spaces. <laughs> she can go everywhere, can't you? There's always some, especially if you're around town. Well, <laughs> you, might, you might not put cones up, but you might walk up and down the road and sort of wait for people to leave, hadn't you? And then when they're gone, <laughs> you know, get it all out. It's all within the rules. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's quite important when you're doing bigger stuff to phase it. Um, you know, you, you need to be selling them off plan and you need to be phasing them. Um, so something like that, I'd look to phase um, over a period of time. Uh, it is more difficult in terms of construction and in terms of upsetting everybody, way more difficult on a building like that. Um, but you know, if you've got a sales process, if you could be selling for a year, 18 months, two years before it's even ready, that, you know, that can be, make a big change. And, and the second thing is just, just phase it over a period of time, definitely. It's easier if you've got a building site though to do that. You'll notice also we've cut quite a lot out of this building. Can you see here all that's gone? 
and on the back as well, and that's for light. But there's still in the middle quite a deep floor plate. So I've been looking at you know sort of borrowed light, and we put quite a few, you know certainly on these bits in here, you know window lights, sorry yeah, roof lights uh, and tubes and things like that. The only thing is when you need planning on every apartment, the council get quite precious about stuff like that. You can understand they want they want nice flats with light. Not always that easy though, is it, on an existing deep floor plated building? But it was cheap. We paid 4.2 million for the whole building. I've had the ground floor valued at 4.1 because of the tenant that's in there and they're, they're, they're paying. So basically for upstairs, I've paid 15 pound a foot, which is sort of quite cheap. It's about 100, 200 grand for, for upstairs, for 100, space for 100 flats. So the cost of doing it is great, but sort of bought it cheap enough to make it work which is why I did it. So there's no sill because it's over 15 units and there's no 106, but there is 30% affordable. So I've worked out on that, it may be half a million, something like that, you have to pay them if you had the full 30%, but you can normally get that down on viability. This is, this is very valuable actually. The other great thing that you can use on these commercial buildings that are empty, and this is empty upstairs and it just has been because the old tenant went, you can claim vacant building credit. And that was introduced in June last year, reintroduced by a, an appeal judge. Um, and that gets you out of if it claims. Anybody got any more questions? Because I think we're about done. I used bridging when we bought that. Um, quite low loan to value. I think, I think it was about 30% I borrowed. And I've just come off it. I've just gone on to a commercial product long term. So I don't use it very often. Oh, I don't, I'm not mad keen on it, but every now and again, I have to use it because I haven't got enough money uh, and I really want to buy something. Yeah, it's expensive. It looked like it was, I think they started at 0.6 or 0.7 and they knew how quickly I wanted to buy it. And I thought, well, I'm not borrowing that much of the purchase price. So in the end, they got me on 0.99. And of course, before you know it, then they've added this, this, that, that, that. And I think it all adds up to probably 15, 16, 17% annualised. Obviously, I haven't paid that because I haven't had it for that long, but I think that's what it really costs, yeah. But if you've got a good enough deal and you need the money, it's probably a good thing to do. I did it. I'd do it again if I had the right deal, but I'd, I'd prefer to use our money and sort of pay myself 10% a year. Do you see what I mean? If I put it in, you know, if I put a bit more in than Rob, I get a little bit more interest, yeah. Yeah, so business rates were always a big thing on things like this. So um, several different strategies you can use. The, the rates on this building are 370 grand a year on the whole thing. I mean, it's just ridiculous because it's from, from a time when it was retail and yeah. So we put an appeal straight in to reduce that. And of course, they just drag their feet, mess around and you know, the VOA is a nightmare. So that appeal went in. Um, so the, the liability upstairs for the bit that isn't let, our liability is 170, 180 grand a year. That's the rates payable. So there's a few little games you have to play to sort of try and re reduce that. So the first thing you do, and you want to get a rate specialist in to help you do this. If you're, if you're ready, you've got the planning permission, you're ready to go. Obviously the builder goes in, strips it out, and then you I'd get someone to help you a rate specialist, they then apply to the VOA to get it taken out of the list. Yeah? And that can take a few months. 
and then once they take it out of the list, once it's stripped out and the builder's in there, they'll take it out of the list, it becomes zero for the whole period in the building works. And there's been a Supreme Court ruling supporting that recently. So that works, but it can be, can be slow. However, obviously, I haven't started building on this, so I can't do that. So what we've been doing is, and I, I did this here before we moved in, you can move in for six weeks and you need to have beneficial occupation. And then once you've had six weeks of beneficial occupation, you can then move out and then you get three months rates free. And at the end of the three months, you then move in again for six weeks, pay the rates for six weeks, and then you move out and you get three months rate free. Now I suggest you get a specialist to do this for you. You know all the commercial agents, they've always got a guy that works there that will do this. Because there are various things you need to do to make sure that you know, you've done it properly and, and basically the council can't just say, oh well, I was, you owe us the money. So what they usually do, they come in and they put boxes all the way along, yeah, so that it's being used as storage and they take pictures of all the boxes and they date it and they have a, somebody drop the boxes off to prove that they went in there. But often, when I haven't got to get planning, I just get them in there, get it stripped, get the contract, send it straight to the VOA and get it taken out of the list and then it becomes zero for the period of the, the building works and then it gets moved to council tax when it's finished. But rates are a really big thing. They can be a good thing though. That's one of the reasons that was £15 a foot upstairs because everyone looks at it and goes, well, there's 180 grand rates liability. So if you can learn to sort of fix these issues, then you end up getting stuff cheaper and that can be a good thing. Obviously, we, we're going through planning and at some point that contributions officer is probably going to go out and start measuring and all that sort of stuff. If that's all stripped, it, it, you know, he might have an angle then to say... We did our own measurements. Did you? Well, he might not come out and we'll do our own measurements and trust me, that's a better place to be. They sometimes do come out and I, I just have this funny feeling that if they go in there and say it's stripped, that they may be able to say, well... You know, it needs to have been empty, doesn't it? And, and the old tenant needs to have moved out of their own free will without you forcing them out and all that sort of stuff. So I'm just a bit nervous of that, so I didn't strip it. But I could do. I'm getting close to maybe doing that. Yeah. What does strip mean? Strip means uh, in this building, you take all the plant and machinery out, you take the ceiling out, you take the toilets out, you take all the doors off, you take it back to the brick. You can't use it as an office anymore. You can't use it as a retail space. They have to accept uh, that it can't be used for beneficial occupation and you need to have a builder's contract to show you're doing a load of works. If that's the case and builders are on site, they have to take it out of the list and charge you zero. Vacant building credit, transferable to... <laughs> I absolutely don't think it is transferable to another project live, but it would be wonderful if it, if it was. It's transferable to new build on that site, so you know, even if we didn't use any of that space that we remove, but we build a load of new stuff on top, it can be netted off the new build, which is quite good. And there's a load of worked examples online. Bournemouth Council, there's one. I mean, honestly, when I learned this, I was like, you know, it changes everything, doesn't it? That could be 800 grand contributions. The best deals I got on offices were when all the agents here they, they show you an office, they go, they tell it often, because they're pretty negative, some of the commercial agents. They're like, oh, you know, the, there's all the rates, you know, you have to think about that, and then you need to get planning, you know, and then we're all sort of saying that, and I just kept my mouth shut. 
obviously had the planning consultant come in and I do not say anything to the agent because none of them even know you can do this yet without planning permission. But of course, as the years have gone on, they've just gone round telling everyone, oh, well, it's all permitted development. You don't even need planning permission. You can put this many apartments in. To the extent that they do plans now for the project before they even sell the building, which is it's just not where you want to be. Unless the plans are crap, which they often are, and you can add a load of apartments in, but obviously don't tell them that. So how am I working backwards and working out which route to go down? I just have a load of spreadsheets. So I've got probably eight or nine development appraisals running on that for all the different costs and the different outcomes and then you know, a cash flow if I'm keeping it I, or net profit every year, a net profit, a capital profit if I sell them. So then I just look at the numbers at the bottom. And of course, you know, over a period of time, I, I was thinking about doing it all, all as apartments and selling them because I don't know, I'd done a lot of cluster stuff for a while. But as time's gone on, you know, I've spoken to Rob quite a lot. He just says, I know what will happen. You'll walk past that building in 10 years and you'll just say, oh, we sold them all. Look what they're worth now. And, you know, all that sort of stuff, <laughs> which, which I will do. Um, and A and B, surely I should just be doing more stuff for income because, uh, you know, that's, I just think that's the best place to be. Just, just buying stuff, holding it and taking income. Yeah. So, so there, that would be 101 bed apartments. If that was clusters and it was that big, and I wouldn't do it that big, but if it was 50,000 square, it would be 250 rooms, something like that. So it's too big, yeah? Um, but that sort of thing, that's my rocket research. Because as far as I'm concerned, you can do as much sort of test ads, spoof ads on spare room, and, and I've done those, and spoof ads on easy roommate and Airbnb tests, because we'll probably do some service and all that sort of stuff. But for me, it's all about in an area building up. So the first one I did was a little five-bed house. And then I did an eight-bed house. And then I, I sort of did a pub. And I did a, do you see what I mean? That is my, my research. Initially, the, this is what I was thinking. This, they're too big. I can't do that. And I was buying smaller ones. And I've just built up to it over time. So next door, we manage 600 properties. So I sit down there. And obviously, I'm watching all the time, what gets rented, where the demand is, what the average room rents are, and that's sort of real live, you know, you can see what's happening. But if I went and tried to do this, you know, in Leicester, I could suddenly get all the numbers quite wrong, because there might not, there is the demand there, I'm sure, but it would be different, which is why I quite like focusing on, you know, a, a specific area. It's not necessarily that this is a better place, although it's a good place, it's just I, I know what works and what doesn't. Well, over the long term, it, it usually works, doesn't it? I don't specifically have a number because it can move quite a lot and it depends on a whole load of factors. Um, but I'll always keep a good maintenance reserve. And, you know, my rule is I'll try and get the money back out of a development once it's finished. So my cash reserve should be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So all the time, my cash is just circling around, do you see what I mean, and not getting any smaller. And the, re you know, the rest is equity and debt that's left in. But the equity should all have been created from the development rather than it being my equity. So that's sort of how I've modelled it. And then over time, I just let the loan to value drift down. So probably over the long term, I'll, I probably wouldn't look to leverage more than about 50%. Yeah. So just let it drift down to probably about 50 and then, well, let it drift down to maybe 30, 40 and then re-leverage back to 50 and then use that cash to continue.
But initially, I will try and take it to 70, 75 to get the money back. But then over time, just let it sort of average a 50. Yeah. I mean, you might, you might keep it at 60, something like that. But I think it's quite a sensible place to be. Because what's slightly to happen in the next, probably, I don't know, seven, eight years? They'll all, all the values will go off a cliff again. There'll be another recession. Um, the banks will tighten up. Um, all that stuff will happen again. It's guaranteed. I haven't seen that one. There's always stuff coming out the woodwork, um, which is useful. Um, there's always a load of VAT stuff. We converted stacks of HMOs in the early days and we paid 20% fat on them. No one ever tells you that the correct rate is 5. The correct rate to convert these is 5%. And if you sell it, you get that 5% back. So um, it's important to, to get a, a VAT specialist who knows this stuff because it's worth stacks of money. Okay, we are pretty much done. Thank you very much.